Well, good morning, Gateway, and so glad that you have joined us today. Wasn't the worship just incredible? Uh, just an awesome time. My name is Tony, and Tony Baker, and I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. Um, I'm also very, very excited about the regathering next week. I know it's been a very long time, and Brandon uh, brought that up to you, and we'll be sending more stuff out. But I've just, you know, you should have gotten some emails and information about our safety procedures, our safety policies, the schedule versus in the phases, and what the government's saying, and our response to that, and all that's there. Uh, but I'm very excited about gathering just to see you guys, even if it's from a distance, just to see everyone um, come out, be a part of that, uh, use your discretion. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable, please join us online. We'll continue to be online at 10 and 11.30 next week, but we'll have one live service here uh, with everyone at 10 a.m. next week. Uh, today we start a brand new series called Uncertain, the Church During Difficult Times. The next five weeks, we're going to look at some biblical characters uh, who faced uncertain times. Uh, the, the thing we're going to look at is what did they do, Right? I mean, what happened in their life? What did they do? How did they react or act in those uncertain times? But I think even more importantly, we're going to take a look at what God did. What did God do in uncertain times? You know, I've been teaching the Bible for a very long time. I've been studying the Bible for a very, very long time. Uh, 40-some years now, I've been in church, Sunday school, under preaching, uh, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and uh, I wish I could tell you uh, or say to you that uh, this gets easier, and I guess it gets a little easier as you go, but you know, let me just say the Bible tells us to trust God. The Bible teaches us to trust God, especially when things are bad, but I struggle with that, and I know you do too. We all struggle because when things are difficult, when you're in the middle of uncertainty and you're praying to God and you're asking God, we struggle to trust God, especially in the hard times. It's easy to trust Him when everything's going well, but when things get difficult, it's hard to trust. Why? Because trusting means that I have to wait. It means I have to wait. Trusting means I need to wait for God to move. It means I might not get the answer I want now. We don't like that, do we? I mean, we live in this information society. I can, I can pull out my phone and I can go to Google and I can get just about anything that I want now. I can get answers. You know, I love pizza. So let's just give it a shot. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri, give me a great place to get pizza in Angola. The highest rated option I see is Crosby's on North Main Street in Angola, which averages five stars. Does that one sound good? I guess I need to say Angola, Indiana, right? See, I, I am a pizza connoisseur. I love pizza. And if I, you know how it used to be? It used to be you had to call ten friends or 20, and you had to ask them, what's the best pizza place in town? And then you had to get them to give three stars, four stars, five stars. I mean, three weeks later, you might find out where the best place in 
to eat pizza or just go to every pizza place and decide for yourself. But today, I can get on there and just like that, get the best pizza place in town, subjectively speaking, right? Here's where we're at. Immediate results shape our expectations for life. When we can get results that quick, when we can get results that fast, it kind of bleeds over into the rest of our life and we just want answers now. You remember when you were having trouble with your car, the old cars, now I'm dating myself, back before they had like a lot, they always had lights, but before they had computers and all that. It used to be, you know, uh, the check engine light would come on and you had to go to a mechanic. Now I can just simply go to AutoZone. They plug it into a computer. I mean, it tells me everything that's wrong. The part, they'll take me in. They'll show me the part, how much. I mean, like that, if you want to, you can fix your car fast. We're conditioned to expect every question, every problem, and even a pandemic to have answers. We're conditioned to get those answers. We look to those who know better than we do. We look to those who have authority. We look to those who have the power to tell us what we need to hear. I know. Google Pastor, Siri, Pizza, Check Engine Lights. I don't really need God to help me find a pizza place in town. Maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe I'm praying about it more and he'll just get me in my car and just take me there. But here's where the tension grows for me when the tension of a problem and a need being met meet. When my life is disrupted... When something happens outside of my control, when something happens outside of my sphere of influence and it disrupts my life, we call that suffering. I lose a job. It's not my fault. It's a pandemic. It's not my fault. It's a depression or a recession. I go into financial hardship. I can't pay my bills. I might lose my house. I can't feed my kids. And we suffer. Maybe I lose a loved one from an illness. Maybe from COVID. It's out of my control. I feel the pain and the suffering of loss. We lose our health. You get the diagnosis of cancer or some other disease that threatens your life. Maybe someone hurts you. It's called suffering. Suffering without answers creates that tension in our life that we then look to a higher power. That tension in my life is this. I believe in a God who can, but won't. I believe in a God who can, but doesn't. God can fix all my problems. God can solve my suffering. God can relieve the pain. God can protect me. God can get me back to work. God can take care of this pandemic. God can heal. But for some reason, He hasn't. And that tension is created in my life. And when that tension happens, when I believe in a God who can but doesn't, then I begin to doubt. And then I begin to have unbelief. And then I begin to say, like David, 
How long, O God? How long? How long are we going to suffer? How long do we have to go through this? How far do we have to go? How many people have to lose their jobs? How many people have to get sick? How many people have to die? How long, God? When we don't get our answer quickly, then maybe we're tempted to just switch search engines. Have you ever been frustrated with Google and you just closed it down and opened up Bing? I have. Raise your hand this morning if you've ever questioned or wondered if God is good. Listen, raise your hand there at home. If God is good, raise your hand if you've ever said this or thought this, maybe even secretly. If God is good and all-powerful, then why all the bad and suffering in the world? If all God, if all the power of God can just fix it, why hasn't he? You're not alone. We've all thought this. We all wrestle with this and we all struggle with this. But here's something that I know about you and something that I know about those of you watching is that this is the one thing about God that keeps you from following Him. For many of you, you've given up on the church. For many of you, you've given up on God. For many of you, you walked away because somewhere in your past, maybe, maybe you came to God with this expectation that God's power was just going to take over your life and everything was going to be fine. And maybe He's going to be like Siri and you just call to Him and you get whatever you need when you need it. And it wasn't long Till you found out it doesn't work like that. And then you begin to doubt. And then set in the unbelief. If God is good and all powerful. Then why are bad things happening to me and those that I love? And you're not alone there. Many experience God like this because we have this question. We all have suffered illness. We all have suffered loss. We all have suffered financial hardship in our life. Suffering relationally through divorce or some other broken relationship. Suffering brings that question that we all wrestle with. Is God good? Is God strong enough? Does God care? And how long must we suffer? But here's the real question, I think. On the surface, we ask, if God is good, then why? But here's the real question that I think we wrestle with. Deeper below that surface, deeper down into our heart, deeper into the depths of our mind and conscience and soul, I think we really want to know this. Does God love me? Does God care about me? Is he for me or is he against me? Is he agnostic or just doesn't care about my life, not concerned about it? Does God love me? David wrestled with this question. In Psalm chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, if you're online, over on the right side, there's a Bible tab you can follow along. Go to Psalm 13. We're going to look at the whole psalm. It's big. I mean, we're going to be here all day long. No, it's six verses. But it's six verses just packed with 
a man who is struggling and suffering, a man who was promised something by God himself and now finds himself on the run. And his enemies are creeping in and getting closer and about to take his life. And David opens up his psalm with, How long, O God? How long? Psalm chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. I'll start there, and then we'll talk a little bit about it as we go. How long, O Lord, David says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David, David's suffering has turned to complaining. He is complaining to God. And I think it's, he has a good complaint God promised him something. God gave him, God had him anointed for a special purpose to be king of Israel. And now the current king of Israel is coming down on him. And years have passed since this promise. And it still has not come true. You know, it's terrible to be forgotten. I remember many years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church, and we had our youth group on Wednesday nights. And I remember this, it's one of these stories that I just remember, and it's a story I bring up often, maybe you've heard me tell it, but when I want to talk about being forgotten. Um, We had our youth group on Wednesday nights, the parents would come, drop their kids off. We had about 75, 80 kids and 100 kids in that group at different times, and they would drop their kids off. So obviously, you know, Pastor Tony can't just pay attention to every single kid, right? And so the parents would come, drop their kids off, and they would go over to the big church. They called it the big church at the time. You had to be, you know, big stuff to go to the big church. We just got the teen group. But they'd go over to the big church, and then after church, they would come back over and pick their kids up. So we went through our youth group, and 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 uh, this mother came and was dropped. They, they, she had two kids that were in the youth group, a, a son and a daughter. And they dropped, you know, the son was there and all that, and after youth group, the mother comes and she gets the boy and she goes, where's my daughter? We looked around and I asked and nobody had seen her. We got a little worried and she's like, well, I dropped them off. And then somebody said, no, she's not been here. And the mother gets this look on her face, you know, she's like, what? I dropped my kids off and well, your son's here, but your daughter never came. We just assumed she was home sick or something. Come to find out, as we're searching down, the mother, as we're standing there, popped in her mind. She goes, oh my goodness. Before church that night, they had stopped at Walmart to go shopping. They got in the car, drove to church, took her kids to youth group, went to big church, and realized she had left her daughter at Walmart. They called Walmart. The daughter was there waiting on... Could you imagine what's going through this 13-year-old girl's mind? Mom forgot me. How long, oh mom, am I going to have to roam the aisles of the food mart, right? How long, mom, am I going to have to be forgotten? This is where David is at. He feels forgotten. 
but it gets worse. It's one thing to be forgotten, but it feels even worse to be ignored. David says, how long have you, will you forget me? But then he says, how long will you hide your face from me? David is feeling forgotten and David is feeling ignored. When we are ignored, we feel that we don't matter. We feel that we're not loved. We feel that we're not important. And about right now, David is complaining, God, you've forgotten me and you're ignoring me. Do you love me? Do you care for me? David was suffering and he was complaining to God. And I think it's okay to tell God how we really feel. I really do in these times. It's funny, the other day, we were trying to get some stuff done outside and the weather was just, it was last week, it was cold and wind was blowing 30 mile an hour and it was rainy. I remember standing there and I just kind of looked up and I looked at my family and I said, really God? And I was serious. If COVID isn't bad enough, does it have to be 39 degrees in the middle of May? I mean, can you give us at least some sunshine and some warmth? I just felt that way. Everybody's just COVID everywhere. People's lives are disrupted. Can we get a little sunshine for today? Nothing is more frustrating than believing in a God who is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough, but silent when I'm in the suffering. And I think it's okay to complain to God, but we cannot stay in the complaining. We cannot live in the stewing. We must be stirred to something greater than just complaining to God. Look at verse 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will fall or I will sleep in death. He's saying I will die. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David's complaining has now turned to real prayer. David's complaining has turned to real prayer. Complaining is okay, but it doesn't move God and it doesn't change me to where God wants me to be in my life. Reaching out to God for answers. Telling Him what is on your heart. Not just complaining like David started out. But he says, look on me and answer. I'm here, God. I'm ready to hear what it is you have to say. Help me understand you. Help me understand your will. Help me understand what's going on. Or I'm going to die. If I can't be in relationship with you in a way that help you help me understand, then I might as well die, David is saying. God loves when we step from the complaining to prayer. Prayer is a heart dump. Prayer is a heart-soul search. Prayer is a God search. It's a mind-altering thing that we do in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our uncertainty. Prayer is what gets us to where we need to be. Complaining simply makes life about me. But prayer makes it about us. 
Complaining makes life about me, but prayer makes life about us, about me and my relationship to God, me and my understanding of God, me and my getting to the heart of what is on God's mind. More than just, here, take care of this. Instead, it's, God, I want to know You. In the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my uncertainty, in the midst of my struggle, I'm not seeing things change around me So maybe something needs to change in me. Complaining is one-sided, while prayer is a relational conversation that you have with God. David is telling God, I really need you now. I need to know that you are here and that you care. Give me something, some understanding, or I'll die. So David starts the psalm complaining and whining to God. How long, God? How long are you going to... I'm feeling ignored. I'm feeling forgotten. And then he changes in verse 3 and 4 to a real conversation to the heart of what the problem is. But look what happens in verses 5 and 6. But. After the prayer, he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Next verse. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. David's surrender and trust in God is what came after his prayer. David surrendered his life and he trusted in God. It doesn't say God changed his circumstance. It doesn't say that immediately God's power overcame the circumstance in David. It doesn't say that David didn't have any more uncertain days, but something changed in David after his prayer to God. Prayer may not change my circumstance immediately, but it always changes me. But, David said, I will trust in your unfailing love. Literally, David says this. He says this. I will place my heart upon you because you love me at all times. Even in the middle of your job loss, even in the middle of your health crisis, even in the middle of your loss of a loved one, even in the middle of a COVID pandemic, God loves you at all times. So what are we to do? Well, David's a good example. We need to trust God in our suffering and not just trust God to end my suffering. The problem is is that it I'll never really completely trust God until the sin issue in my life is resolved. You say, wow, that, how did you go from there, Tony? I mean, you went from, from suffering, and I get it, and hard times, and I get it, and trusting God, yeah, I, just need, I need to trust God more. But there's something deeper going on in our hearts here. You see, sin 
is the problem. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've heard that saying. We get stuck in the complaining and we never move to the trusting. Why? Because sin causes me to make life about me. It's what it does. It's what it's all about. My rebellion against God, my, re, my, my, my rebellion to allow myself to trust a God who would allow bad things to happen, that's sin. It's a rebelliousness in me. It's what makes me focus on me and not others. It's selfishness at its core. That's what sin is. Suffering... When my life gets disrupted, it simply irritates my selfish agenda. And it makes it difficult for me to throw my heart upon a God who should be changing the circumstance. My comfort is more important to me at that point than my relationship to God. And David didn't go there. David found in his suffering, David found in his uncertainty, a place where he said, wait a minute, God's love never fails. You have been good to me. Even though now it doesn't seem it. You're good, God. I want to read to you out of the New Testament a passage of Scripture. It's, it's sort of long, but I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 18. I just want to read. I was only going to read a couple verses out of it, but man, it's good. And I think it's fitting for us today. It's not the angels that has subjected the world to come, He's, which is what we're speaking about. So the writer of Hebrews is talking about the new heaven and the new earth coming, the kingdom of heaven coming on earth. He says it's not the angels that, ha- that he has subjected to the world to come, in which we're speaking about. Next verse. But there is a place where someone has testified, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. He's talking about us. God did that when He created us. He made us a little lower than the angels and put everything under our feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them here on earth. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Now, he is crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. God became a man so that he might suffer. puts my suffering in a little different context, doesn't it? That God would actually come to earth. Why? To suffer. But why would He suffer death? So that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. He became suffering for you and me. 
in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through really good times. No. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Next verse. Both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy are of the same family. You and I and Jesus in Him are family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, He says, Here I am I. And the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared their humanity. You see, we have one in Jesus who suffered perfectly and was made perfect through suffering. And we can share in his life so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death for surely it is not angels he helps but abraham's descendants for this reason he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Listen, he is able to help us who are being tempted as well. We see in David's prayer, David surrendering his heart and life to God, David gave his heart and life to God. He suffered just as Jesus suffered. Listen, when uncertainty comes in life, in uncertain times, it is not necessarily God's power to change my circumstance that matters as much as it is His unfailing love that changes my heart. I can't tell you why God has not changed the circumstance we're in. I cannot tell you why we're going through this pandemic or why people are getting sick or why people are dying. I can't tell you why. But I know this, that in Jesus we have one who has suffered for us. He was made perfect through his suffering. And we are tempted, when we are tempted, we have one we can go to and trust and obey And put our heart in His heart, in His hands. I want to challenge you today to trust God in these times. To begin to do everything that you can in your power. To pray that God would heal our land. To trust in God's power because He is all-powerful. But also to understand that it's not necessarily God's power That changes me because he doesn't force himself on me. But it's his unfailing love that changes me. David found that to be true. And so can you.
Let me pray for you. We're going to sing a song. And what I want you to do this morning is just trust God. This is an incredible song as the worship team comes. Here again, if you listen to the words, it fits David's life, our life, anyone who has suffered or been in times of uncertainty. You can be certain today and knowing that God loves you. Father, I pray right now for those that are watching as they listen to this song that, Lord, they would respond by simply dropping their heart into your hands, that they would seek connection and relationship with you, that, God, they would know you better, even in the midst of suffering and uncertainty. They would know you better. In Jesus' name we pray.